Welcome to Coffee and an Interview. I'm Jacqueline Pena, and today I'm with Catherine Marie. Catherine is a cancer survivor who's gone through an incredible journey and has used her experience or is using her experience now to help other people diagnosed with cancer. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. I am so honored to be here, and it's just lovely to talk to you. Uh, I'm so glad you were able to join me today because you have a remarkable story and a journey that you've been using to empower other people through their similar journeys. And I wanted to jump right in and just ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey with cancer. Thank you so much. Okay, jump in. So first and foremost, uh, I am a mom. I have uh, boy-girl twins that were born very premature and both have special needs. And you'll understand why I mentioned that later. Um, but uh, in 2015, I went to an annual checkup and I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. And um, because of that, uh, we'll jump into the story later, but because of that, I am now a speaker and a holistic health coach. I coach, I specifically um, coach people who have been diagnosed with cancer in helping them navigate all of the challenges that arise as a result of their diagnosis. And I am a speaker who uh, I, you know, I address many groups. I address uh, cancer patients. I address uh, Perhaps it might be employers who are looking to assist people who are returning from leave act, whether it's from a cancer diagnosis or other leave and, and helping to create this employee centered uh, approach to um, helping people return after they have, like I said, been diagnosed from cancer or are, have other things that they've been away from work for an extended period. That's a very important topic as an employer myself now with my own company empowerment through education, but also as someone who works with a lot of companies, we sometimes don't think about how do we help our team members integrate again into the workplace once yes. they come back from an extended leave. Yes. Okay. Tell us about your, your, your journey a little bit more because um, you mentioned uh, getting diagnosed after your annual. And it's funny because I just scheduled my annual mammogram, which <laughs> now comes with an ultrasound. So a lot of people don't realize that you might need an ultrasound to really see what's going on there and be able to truly diagnose uh, breast cancer. So yes. I thought it was interesting that um, you started with that part of the story. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about how you discovered you had cancer and what your cancer journey was like? Yeah, I'm so glad you bring that up. Because yes, so I went in for an annual checkup. It was in February of 2015. I just went in for a checkup and my doctor found a lump. Now, for some reason, my mammograms and my appointments had gotten off. So I had had a mammogram just eight and a half months prior. So I, I went into this exam. The doctor felt a lump and she says, hmm, I've never felt this before. I had a history of having some benign lumps. Some many women do. And I was sent for a diagnostic ultrasound and mammogram. And it's, you know, it, the reason I'm so glad you bring up the 
the ultrasound uh, versus mammogram thing is because there are many women out there with dense breast tissue. And I was one of those women. I had had dense breast tissue. I had received notices that, oh, you have your, your mammogram is normal, but you have dense breast tissue. And I never asked questions. I never went beyond that. And that was prior to having 3D mammograms available, you know, all of those things. You know, there's been advances a lot in the last, you know, five to 10 years. So uh, when I went for my diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound, the radiologist um, who the, the mammogram went normal. Um, as it always had. And then when I was in the ultrasound, the technologist would not look at me. And when the test was finished, she went and got a radiologist and he came in and he looked at me and I immediately realized that this was really serious. And he had a look on his face that was one of concern. And it was a look that I knew he was concerned and he didn't want to say anything. What he did say is that there was an area of concern in my breast and the lymph nodes under my arm. Now, the reason I realized that that look was something that he was it, almost like he was withholding information is because I had these two children who were born premature and had been in the hospital for so long. And I was used to working with doctors and, and communicating with them and partnering with them. So that experience lended me to realizing that, oh my goodness, this is really serious. This look on this doctor's face. So um, what he had said in that moment though, is he had said, it still is not very evident on the mammogram However, on the ultrasound, we can see an area of concern in your breast and your lymph nodes. And that speaks to the breast density. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then the next step was a biopsy. I waited five days for that biopsy. And part of that was scheduling. And in that five-day wait, I spoke to a couple ladies locally who I knew had had breast cancer because I wanted to get recommendations. And I don't feel like I was, you know, manifesting anything. I felt like I needed some control in a situation that felt completely out of control. Yeah. And because I was used to hanging out with doctors and nurses so much because of my children, I, I'm very proactive and wanting to have a good relationship with doctors. So I got these recommendations. I went for the biopsy and that doctor was more forthcoming with me. She, during the exam, and as she was pulling out the tissue, she said, this tissue does not look like normal breast tissue. So at that point, I knew pretty much that it was very likely that it was cancer. She said the results would take one to three days. And it was the very next day that I got a call from a nurse, somebody I didn't know, complete stranger telling me that, yes, in fact, I had cancer and that it was in my breast and my lymph nodes. And my response to her was, okay, here's who I want to see for an oncologist and a surgeon because I had it all figured out. 
Um, you did maybe. your research. You 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 had it in play. Yeah, like I said, I think part of it was just wanting to have a little bit of control in that situation because it felt so crazy out of control and unreal. I was 46 years old and felt healthy. I didn't feel sick, you know, and 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 in an instant, I went from feeling good to having stage three breast cancer. And so I jumped into function mode. That's how I coped with it. I, that's how I could manage it. And I decided at that moment that my priorities were to keep things as normal as possible for my children as I could and to get healthy. So um, after meeting with my oncologist and my surgeon, um, I in three weeks, exactly three weeks after my diagnosis, I was in surgery and having a double mastectomy oh and the plan. Yeah, it was very quick. And, and considering that, so my diagnosis was on a Thursday, March 5th, and then it was the following week, I was still meeting with the oncologist and the surgeon and getting additional testing. You know, they, they like you to do, I think I had both an MRI and a PET scan um, in this time frame because they want to check for any other cancer within your body. So it's, it's a big information gathering time and at the same time going forward and planning surgery. So by the time I saw the surgeon, I was in surgery in two weeks after, after meeting the surgeon. And my oncologist wanted just a very aggressive approach. Mm. And I was okay with that. And yet it was like, whoa, this is kind of crazy. It was moving really, really fast. Really fast. But your life changed with just one phone call. Well, first with one ultrasound and then change it again with this phone call everything moves so fast and I think that's that's hard to 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 just fathom is you know you're 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 living your life one way and all of a sudden something changes the path you're going on exactly yeah Uh, you you've mentioned a few things I want to keep going with this journey but I don't want to miss the opportunity to um, mention a couple of things that you've highlighted already. One we talked about was the ultrasound component. So you really need to understand your options for your annual mammogram because um, the other piece that most of us, I've ne- I never knew this until recently, this, this idea of having dense breasts. And I kept wondering, why do they keep asking me to come back after a mammogram? Is there something wrong? And no one would explain you have dense breasts and we can't really see uh, the mammogram and the results clearly. And, and I think it's important for, for your health, preventive health, to make sure that you understand what dense breast means and to understand your uh, options that you should be getting a mammogram and an ultrasound if you have that heavy uh, breast density. And then when you get this kind of diagnosis, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm learning from you just how fast you moved is go into this, this information gathering stage, make the best decisions possible and move forward. You, you don't have a lot of time to stop. You, you move forward and then you chose to do a double mastectomy. That was a very big decision. What made you decide to do that? Well, I, I see that it was a very aggressive approach and you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, and first to speak to the testing. Yes, there's you know, there's a, a traditional 2D mammogram, there's the 3D mammograms, there's ultrasounds, um, there's breast MRIs. And it really, I would never even attempt to explain all of those or advise. But what I encourage people to do is ask questions 
Be yes. sure to ask their doctor questions, especially if they hear the word dense breast tissue, because the 2D mammogram or traditional does not detect changes in the breast tissue easily because of the density. Mm -hmm. So I just encourage people to ask questions. Great advice. Yes. So when I was sitting and meeting with my oncologist, and I have to incorporate a, a funny story. So my oncologist held my hand and um, he wanted to examine me. And uh, of course I was stressed. So I'm sitting on the exam table and my cancer was in my right side. And he began examining my left side. And I just rolled my eyes and I thought, did this man not read my information? Why the, you know, I'm, all these thoughts are running through my brain. And I just looked at him and I said, um, it's the right side. And he says, I know today you get a twofer. So um, he just, <laughs> apparently he wanted to do a comparison, but <laughs> I didn't know that. So there's, there's that, that was a little bit of a tension releaser. As far as for me personally, choosing the double mastectomy, my lump was quite large. My oncologist suspected that it was there at that mammogram eight and a half months prior, and it was not detected. And the size of my lump was large enough where if I would have had just a lump, lumpectomy or just had the lump removed, I would have been deformed because I was a small chested woman. Mm. So a lumpectomy was not an option. I could have chosen a single mastectomy and it was my choice to do a double. Part of that was, uh, I, I did, you know, it, we discussed the statistics of, okay, if you just remove the one side, what are the options? the chances that it would come back on the other side, that sort of thing. And there wasn't, I don't remember the numbers. There wasn't a huge statistic um, about it coming to the other side. However, I knew for me that would weigh on me emotionally and that I had to just remove both. Mm -hmm. There was also the component of a friend shared with me another person's experience of the fact that from a plastic surgeon standpoint, not that I need to consider the plastic surgeon, however, the plastic surgeon standpoint was that it's easier to rebuild both breasts than it is to match a natural breast. That makes sense. So that's another reason where I chose a double. And as far as delayed reconstruction versus immediate, uh, many, many women choose to start the reconstruction process right away. And part of that is that there is one surgeon that does the mastectomy, and then there's a plastic surgeon who is involved in reconstruction. And if I were to begin the reconstruction process immediately during the mastectomy, that takes coordination of doctors. Mm -hmm. And that would take a longer period of time to number one, choose a plastic surgeon and then to get them coordinated. And I just chose to just jump into it and get it taken care of as soon as possible. Yeah. As a patient, if a person chooses to do more research and, and maybe not 
be so proactive. I don't want to use the proactive. I would not want to just jump in immediately if they want to take their time and do research. You know, this cancer was already in me for a long period of time. Another couple of weeks perhaps maybe wouldn't have made a difference. But for me, emotionally, I needed to go forward and, and, and jump in with both feet right away. I, I like how you explain that. And, and you're saying for me personally, for me emotionally, because I think it depends on the person. We all have to make the decisions that are right for us, for our lives, for our lifestyle, for our, our emotional um, state at the moment, because I know I would be one of those that'd be like, all right, let's take action. This thing is coming out today. <laughs> <laughs> let's roll up our sleeves and do it. And, yeah. uh, and some people need a little more time to process. So I think it just depends on the person. Mm-hmm. And I, I love how you explained your decision-making process for the double mastectomy, because I think it is a very personal decision And you have to think about all these different options. And I know there's a lot already going on. You have cancer and you're thinking about your children and your family and and life and death decisions. And, but at the same time, these are pieces that are connected to that. And, and some of us can't think about all those things at once. Uh, And so, you know, you have to decide how to process all that, Um, doing the double mastectomy and thinking about reconstruction or, mm-hmm. or not, uh, which is a whole other conversation too that I'm sure we're going to do in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe another day, who knows? <laughs> I mean, who knows, who knows? There's so much here. Um, and it's interesting that you had a mammogram eight and a half months before this particular one that detected the cancer. We didn't really touch upon that too much, but the fact that it was such a short period of time, I was shocked when you said that in the interview because you don't expect so much change to occur in such a short period of time, but then it comes back to breast density. But even then, in one year, a lot can change. So I think this is a great time to just remind people to get your annual mammogram. And if you have health insurance, it's covered. Do it. Yes, yes. get your screenings, whether it's a mammogram or ultrasound or <laughs> Thank you. whatever. Just yes, please, please, please get your screenings. And okay, total transparency here. I was horrible at doing self-exams. Horrible. Dude, I am horrible. Yeah, but here's here's a little um, learn from my mistake. Please, I encourage people to do a self-exam. I, okay, we're going to get really personal here, but I, prior to my diagnosis, I um, was feeling some lumpiness. However, I it was easily um, attributed to something. So I had been in a perimenopausal state prior to my diagnosis. I was experiencing, I don't don't wanna say depression because it wasn't like a clinical depression. It was extreme sadness, which was due to hormones. Mm -hmm. So I remember days when I literally wanted to just lay on the floor and cry and it was hormones. It was the hormones were messing with me. So I had been to the doctor. I had been put on progesterone, I think I just messed up that word. Anyway, I had been put on hormones Mm -hmm. and I, um, one of the side effects of that particular medication was that it could cause some lumpiness. So when I, I think I had felt a little bit of lumpiness, but I attributed it to, this is a side effect of this medication. So I encourage people to do the best you can with self-exams get to know what's normal. 
and speak up if something's abnormal, even if you think it could be um, something having to do with any medication or lifestyle or whatever, speak Mm up. This is great advice. Um, I'm really bad at the self-exam component and I need to do better. I really do. Um, And and you make a great point because I noticed that there's a lot with uh, breast cancer in certain ages, like the 40s, women in their 40s. See a lot of women in their 40s being the higher group to to get breast cancer, to be diagnosed with breast cancer, I should say. And I always wonder, is is it related to hormones or is it because uh, our body's changing, what, you know, what's going on. But then you bring up another point is that if you are taking hormones, if you're taking medication, because you're going, you're premenopausal, this could change your body's composition. So you have to know your body before you go through all that. So right. start doing your, your, your self exams in the shower. I think that's an important bit of advice we can put out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially any time of year, but especially, yeah, now just, (laughs) I just, hmm, yeah, I wish I would have, I wish I would have been better at self-exams myself. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, yeah. And, and, um, and, and, and that process that you went through, um, also with your screening, I have to start using the word screening instead of mammogram. Thank you for reminding me of that the process of screening and self-exams and then going through this cancer journey and learning how we could do these things uh, differently or better and educating many of us in that process, which we're going to get to in a minute, the work that you do. But there's another component to cancer. I mean, you are, uh, quote unquote, the tumor comes out and some of us say cancer free, but, you know, is there really such a thing as cancer free because you have the emotional weight of cancer and the fear recurrence, you have, um, you're going through the reconstruction process. So there's that reminder and there's so much that's going on. Tell me a little bit about your post, um, operation journey, your recovery. What, what was that like? What were some of the challenges there and some of the milestones? how did you get through some of those things? Yeah, thank you. So yeah, post-surgery. Whew. So my treatment plan included, uh, after I recovered from surgery, chemotherapy, which was five months. And then um, after I recovered from that, six weeks of radiation. And that, you know, I, the whole time just functioned through it, got through it, did the best I could. Um, there were days when I was going through chemotherapy and I, if I got up and I showered and everybody was fed and dressed. That was an accomplishment, you know, and then there were better days and fast forward to, um, June of 2016, I was, I began the reconstruction process and reconstruction is multiple surgeries over a period of, for me, it took about a year and a half, but it was in June of 2016 when I had begun the reconstruction process. And it's funny because, and and yes, and and to backtrack a second. So yes, once they remove the cancer, breast cancer in particular has a very high recurrence rate. So they consider you at surgery, no evidence of disease. The reason that they frequently do chemotherapy and radiation is to basically attack any rogue cancer cells that were not detected prior 
So that that's kind of the reasoning behind that. So uh, in 2016, do you, do you want me to pause for a question? You I was like? just thinking, I know, I was just thinking, wow, imagine um, finally going through this process. And then for years, you're wondering, will it come back? Is it still in me? That right. was, that's what I kept processing as you were saying that. Yeah. So in 2016, you know, I, you think that after going through all of that, the surgery and the chemo and the radiation that you're going to be like, woohoo, life is good. And I'm excited and I'm going to live. But at, it's almost at that point where you're like, holy cow, what did I just go through? And you're looking around and you're like, now what? And, and then there's that fear. You're just like, so scared because you know exactly how life can change in an instant. Mm-hmm. And you become so scared of that recurrence because then you're like, you know, at that point, <laughs> then it's really bad. If once, once it's been initially taken care of, and if it comes back, then it's, it's pretty serious. Um, so I became very stuck in the recurrence in the summer of 2016. And there was a time when I was in some online community message boards specifically for breast cancer patients. And one night I was sitting home alone and I was um, just scared. And I was on these message boards. So I had my computer on my lap and I was on my bed and I was surrounded by pillows and I had tea next to me and I'm sitting there and I was communicating with people and I was so scared. And I read something by another breast cancer patient that was just like a rope being tossed to me in quicksand. And what she said is, I don't want to look back decades from now and realize I'd lived my entire time in fear. Wow. And it just like, it was a light bulb. It was like, okay, I'm climbing out of that quicksand. And so that is when I started moving forward. And I started realizing that I had to live now. And part of that was facing some fears. I had met another woman through the same online community. Her name was Rachel. And when we met, she was stage four. And I was scared of being friends with her because she was dying from the same disease that I had. And she was in another state. So we never actually physically met, but we... Once we became friends, we began talking and texting every single day, multiple times a day. And she showed me that I could make a difference. And it's funny because when initially when I finished treatment, I'm like, I don't want to be in the breast cancer community. I don't want to do the dot walks and raise the funds. I don't want to see pink. I don't, you know, it was it was traumatizing that first breast cancer awareness month, seeing all the pink. Wow. And yet um, I, I found being able to help other people helped me heal, helped me move forward. And what I decided is that cancer does not have to define me, but I can allow it to shape me. And so that's you know, I, I continued with that friendship. I, you know, when she started losing her sight, I sent her a magnifying glass to help her read the card from her son, that sort of thing. 
So I was able to help her. And then I started looking for ways to help myself. I started, uh, I decided to go back to school and studied with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition to learn more about how to help me feel healthier. And after studying with them for a year, that's when I decided to become a coach and to help other cancer patients. And when I partner with somebody who has cancer, it's, I have to be careful because I'm not a therapist, I'm not a doctor, but what I can do is provide that emotional comfort of somebody who has been in this situation and understands the terminology, understands what they're going through, but I'm outside of the family dynamics. And so I provide that emotional comfort, or it might be resources. It might be tips on, you know, like when I was going through chemo, I really enjoyed smoothies that cold fruity taste helped numb that chemo metallic taste. So it's, it's talking about things like that. And that's what I do with a person that I'm coaching. And once I started my business, I had opportunities to do speaking and I loved that. It was so great. And even there was an opportunity I had to speak to a, um, a women's business group. And I was speaking about facing fears in life and in business. And afterwards, another woman came up to me and she said, you know, I, I saw that you were speaking and I've had cancer too. And this helped me so much. And that just lights me up to be able to help people move from fear uh, into action. And so now I've, I've started my book on that very thing and, and incorporating my story. However, it's at the core, it's about moving from fear to action. It's a, an amazing journey because what you went through, it's not an easy journey at all. And you survived. And I, I know it's, it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride. There are good days, bad days through the process. And you got to a place where you empowered yourself, you got resources, you said, I'm moving from this place of fear to action, I need to dig myself out of this quicksand, you know, you, you heard the stories and you use that to empower yourself, but then you naturally created a system, a process to empower, to help others, and to empower them with tools to help them um, survive the journey. And when I say survive, I mean survive, meaning be able to transition wherever the journey is going to take them, uh, the ups and downs and making those hard decisions. And sometimes I know your, your friend um, passed away from mm -hmm. cancer. And sometimes um, it, it's a very, you know, the journey just comes to a place where you don't want it to come. But how do you, as a coach, help someone through that process, that very delicate process? Um, or maybe um, I am able to live longer and have to go through reconstruction and how do I deal with chemo? And I, I love that example. It's you, you, you were there and you're now helping others through that process. So they're not alone. Right. So when a person is stuck in fear, for example, I, I, I developed a strategy and I call it ABLE, which is an acronym. And that's acknowledge, breathe, listen, execute. And I have a download on my website that people can access. And the website is inspiredvitality.life. And the ABLE guide is a, a brief download that walks you through acknowledging those fears, centering yourself with breathing, 
listening to what you need, and then executing. So for example, with a cancer patient who's facing that fear of recurrence, it's acknowledging that fear and digging deep, you know, what, what's at the base of those fears. It's using breathing to deep breathing to really center yourself. Um, and then listening to what you need. Do you need, you know, do, do we need to have a conversation as the coach or um, do you need, you know, is, is something based in the fear? Like, are you afraid of perhaps a scan coming up? You know, do you just need to make that appointment for the scan? What is it you need to do? But you need to, like I said, acknowledge those emotions and center yourself before you actually can really understand what you need to do to take that action. And then it's, it's executing that action. Yeah, that makes sense. And I love this notion of moving from fear to action. By the way, I think um, not just in, in this conversation we're having today around cancer, but in general, I think it's a great tool. And for our listeners, just so you know, all the links to all these different resources will be on the description uh, section of the podcast episode. So you'll be able to see the resource and click on the link and go straight there. Mm-hmm. Now, you with the work you're doing, uh, you know, as we start wrapping up the interview, there's um, there are many of us who um, might be diagnosed with cancer now or might, you know, and going through that process could be diagnosed in the future or we might know someone who's been diagnosed with cancer. What advice, tips or suggestions you have based on the work that you do for us, whether we know we are the person with cancer. We know someone who has cancer. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to divide it in just two different categories. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So for patients, whether they are newly diagnosed or in treatment or post-treatment and struggling with those ongoing effects of cancer, mm-hmm. um, accept help number one. And that's really, really hard. That was really, really hard for me but accept help, number one. Understand that those emotions, especially for the newly diagnosed, those emotions are a huge roller coaster. One day you're gonna be like, yes, I got this. And another day, you know, you might be just having a little bit of a pity party and that's okay. It's okay. No matter what you're feeling, it's okay. Those are your emotions. Mm -hmm. And I also encourage considering when you're going through treatment, considering implementing a cancer-free hour. So for me at the beginning, I found I got bombarded with questions from friends and family who lovingly wanted to know what was going on, but it got to be too much. So like, I didn't talk to anybody like dinner time. It's like, no, we're not talking, you know, I didn't talk to my kids about anything going on. I didn't talk like, for example, I didn't say, okay, tomorrow I have this test or whatever. I didn't answer anybody's questions about how I was feeling. It like no cancer during that hour or longer, you know, would be great too, but you know what I mean? It, it, it becomes your world. And, and it's important to like not have cancer part of your world for a short period of time for friends and family the biggest tip I have is don't disappear. Mm. You would be surprised at 
when a person is diagnosed with cancer, there are people that leave because they can't handle it. And then they might reappear later. So I encourage you to not disappear and ride that roller coaster of emotions with your friend or family member because being there emotionally is really what they need the most. And secondly, I encourage you to take language from the patient. And what that means is there are some patients who will say, for example, I'm a warrior, I'm gonna fight this, I'm going to beat this, et cetera, et cetera. And there are some people that the battle language does not resonate with them. And the reason is because if a patient perhaps later has that recurrence, there's kind of that stigma attached that they didn't win the battle or they didn't fight hard enough. And so I really encourage friends and family to listen to what the patient says and use that. And it might change over time. They might realize that at first they're, you know, they're going to say, oh, I'm a warrior. I'm going to do this. And then over time, they might be like, I'm tired. I don't want to be a warrior. I just want to talk about everyday things today. Don't even, you know, so just use the language and stick with them throughout the roller coaster. That's great advice. Advice I hadn't thought about uh, myself in, in different situations or that I've heard from anywhere else, actually. Uh, the cancer-free hour, if you're a cancer patient and um, if you're a friend or a family member listening to that language that your friend is using, your family member, is new advice for me. So thank you for sharing that with me and, and with our listeners as well. Of course. Um, we're coming to the end of our interview and I wanted to ask if there was anything else that you wanted to share with us that I might not have asked you about uh, to give you that opportunity now to do so. Just one. (laughs) Okay. So really keep going for hours. I know, know, right? Okay. So a couple things really quickly. Um, This is another, just a piece of advice for friends and family. There are so many effects of cancer treatment that continue for years and years and ongoing effects. So I encourage you, even if a person is five years out from cancer treatment, ask them how they're doing. They might be having pain or um, stress from ongoing appointments, et cetera. Just, Just check in. That would be a loving thing to do. If somebody has been newly diagnosed with cancer, and their treatment includes chemotherapy. I have a free download on my website and it's called the Chemo Go Bag Checklist. And that is going to help a person prepare for their time at the cancer center and know what to bring. Mm-hmm. And so that is available for free for download on my website, inspiredvitality.life. And please follow me on social media, Inspired Vitality, so that you can get the news for my upcoming book. Yes, I'm excited. I think this is going to be a wonderful publication. So definitely let us know as soon as it comes out. And again, all these links, all these resources will be in the podcast description area. So you can have immediate access and please follow Catherine Marie. I mean, this advice is is powerful. These tips, um, definitely they're there for you. So follow her, follow her company on social media so you could get these tidbits um, along the way. 
Um, and Catherine, I know I keep saying, oh, a lot, but I, it's just that there's so much that I'm thinking about, but Catherine, I want to thank you for, you know, you went through a difficult journey and you moved from fear to action. You became empowered. You found tools to empower yourself. And then you went and started empowering others through your coaching and now you're, and your speaking engagements and now you're back. And now you're here with us on Coffee and an Interview, sharing your story and sharing some advice with us to help us in this journey, whether we're going to go through it ourselves or we know someone who's, who is going through it or will go through it. Um, I just want to thank you for your time and for, for going through that journey and then coming out so strong that you're sharing your message with us. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. I have to say you are so lovely to talk to. You're lovely inside and out. And I so appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you all of you again. Everything will be in the description section of the podcast episode. Definitely follow Catherine Marie. Uh, stay tuned for the wonderful book that's going to help us move from fear to action. I'm so looking forward to it. And reach out to her if you need any advice coaching assistance or um, for any speaking engagements, because I really found this conversation to be truly motivational uh, for me on a Friday, inspiring. And I think all of you will uh, get a lot from learning more from Catherine. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Thank you.